Welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. This is Russell. I'm Mike. And we have a very special episode. We are lucky enough to live in a city with a great deal of choices when it comes to immersive theater. Mike and I often talk on this podcast about uh, exploration and adventure and play. And we have today several guests with us for the podcast who are from the Speakeasy Society, which in my opinion personally is one of those companies that has given Mike and I some of those wonderful adventurous exploration playful moments in events that we've attended from the Speakeasy Society. Uh, please, let's go around the table and introduce yourselves. Great. Uh, I'm Matthew Bamberg Johnson. I'm one of the co-artistic directors. Uh, my name's Julianne Just. I'm also a artistic director. And I'm Genevieve Gearhart, the other artistic director. <laughs> and I'm Chris Porter. I'm an associate artistic director. <laughs> Welcome to all of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and having a chat. Because Mike and I are huge fans, and we've got a few questions. First of all, I want to just basically quote your website. Because I, I, you have a wonderful, I don't, I don't want to say mission statement, but, but you actually have this really very direct definition on your website of the Speakeasy Society. And it reads, the Speakeasy Society is an LA-based immersive entertainment company creating intimate and epic experiences in unexpected places. We create 360-degree worlds, providing escape through total engagement, crafting a shared experience where audience interaction becomes a vital aspect of the performance. And you're succeeding. Like, we have really, <laughs> truly loved your events. Now, you're currently in the middle of the Kansas collection. Yes. And we are here also to talk about something which Mike and I uh, are very, very fond of, the Johnny Cycle. Yes, yeah. So what is coming up with the Johnny Cycle? Please update us. Well, uh, we're, we're very excited to say that we have secured a location for the Johnny Cycle, <laughs> and we have our dates um, and the tickets are actually on sale now with the release of this podcast. So you can go to our website at www.speakeasysociety.com and uh, get the tickets there. We'll be running every weekend of May, Thursday through Saturday at the Mountain View Mausoleum in Altadena. So that's very exciting. It's going to be a, a, a great home for that piece. Yeah. Mike and I just lit up. <laughs> if you heard that thunk, that was our jaws hitting the <laughs> The Speakeasy Society, you guys have been around since, I believe, what, 2012? 2012, yeah. We did our, um, we're actually all uh, graduates of CalArts, and we did our first show in a bathroom at the school, and uh, uh, that was um, that was the Weird Sisters. It was kind of a witch-centric uh, version of the Macbeth story, and um, we did it there. It was a lot of fun. People seemed really excited about it, and we took it from there to Los Angeles. We had the opportunity to, uh, we found a great space. Somehow we, these magical spaces just kind of occasionally walk up to us and say, hey, we're here, do you have anything? And so uh, the Glendale Moose Lodge, which unfortunately is uh, no longer open to the public, but uh, at the time it was this um, strange and beautiful space and it fit the piece really well. So. We redid that down here, and that was kind of the beginning of the Speakeasy Society. Our first official Los Angeles event. That we actually were curating other artists into that as well. So we created an evening of, uh, of performance called uh, Suffering Fools there. 
um, which was great, you know, of which our piece was one part. And that kind of launched us moving into the LA scene. And from there, we've created a number of pieces really exploring a different size and shape of events. Uh, we did a show that was for an audience of about 14. It was about a three and a half hour experience um, that included a full, a full dinner. Uh, that production was called Kitchen Bullet Sugar Blank. Kitchen Sugar, Sugar Bullet, Bullet Blank. Blank. So <laughs> in my defense, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because that was actually the first piece that I saw by uh, the Speakeasy Society. Uh, so I wasn't a part of the group then. I had worked with all of three of them in other performance uh, venues and other theater pieces. My background is actually in music, so I'd usually been composing for these uh, pieces. Uh, but I was one of the test audience for uh, uh, Kitchen, and the moment in particular that I always repeat is that uh, they at one point placed me into a shower stall that had a glass door, and I got to watch from the shower stall as these two women were putting on makeup and just having a private conversation. And it was like one of the most uh, voyeuristic but like impactful things that I had ever gotten to do in a theater moment. So after that, they were we were having drinks or something, and I was like, "Hey, you guys, if you need me for anything, please, please, please invite me along." Uh, so I got to do the music for the first iteration of Ebenezer, and then we kept working together, and I started writing with them, and then we did uh, the second iteration of Ebenezer, and then after that is when I successfully lobbed onto the group. <laughs> and now Chris handles a but. lot of the writing of words and music for our pieces. Uh, so yes, and I, I think that's one of the great things actually about immersive. You know, um, I feel like people have really strong responses to it. You know, they either really love the experience or, or, or it's not for them. And I think that's something that's interesting about it. It's not for everybody, but I think everyone should give it a shot. Um, and so I think some people, though, they really do have this very pro... I mean, I know that the first time I experienced an immersive theater piece, it was profound. It, it was like, this is what I'm, I'm looking for right now. Um, and that's not to say I don't love traditional theater and I don't love still making traditional theater, but there was something that felt really vital and important right now and particularly um, important for an art form that's been having conversations about how it's dying for, for a lot of years, so I think immersive. That's a very old conversation. People have been saying that for years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, think, I think immersive theater is trying to address some of that and is really focused, you know, it focuses on the audience. It does, and not just entertaining the audience, but what is this larger experience they are having? How are they part of the conversation the show is having, not just a witness? And um, I don't know, I definitely know that that that's part of what drives all of us with making this work and part of what excites us about it. So Julianne and I have been making theater together for several years before we started doing any immersive theater. And we were just having this conversation today on our way, on our drive over here about now how important the audience is to what we make and how the first question is always, how is the audience involved? What is their role in the piece? And that was something that we didn't think about as much when we were making traditional proscenium style theater. And our, our view has switched completely. And because when we were watching theater, that's what we were craving. And when we both saw immersive shows, it were big immersive shows for the first time, it really did. It felt like a spark was lit. And we both, I think it was Sleep No More was the first big thing mm -hmm. that we both saw. We were in California. We both went back to New York. We saw it. And when we came back, we thought, we need to do this. It felt like we, we have to make a change. Everyone is ready for a change. People are craving 
this active role, and we don't want to sit in seats anymore and, and just watch. That's, that's been a sort of an evolution for our group as well in terms of endowing the audience with specific roles. So the difference between uh, having come to the first version of Ebenezer, which was very much a loose performance party, um, uh, where you, know, you were guests at the Fezziwigs, uh, party, but beyond that, there wasn't really a specific role uh, or function that you filled within the piece. Um, uh, whereas if you came to the last version of Johnny, uh, it was very clear who you were and how you were being interacted with. Um, we, we've been more careful about endowing the audience with specific roles and tasks and responsibilities. So, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, one of the other things, uh, you know, we... I think Sleep No More comes up a lot in conversations True. about immersive theater. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as it should, in, in some ways it is it is the benchmarker that at least for US audiences, most the most if people have had the opportunity to see it, right? Because it's run a long time, the, the scale of the audience. Um, I do think one thing though, that all of us walking away from seeing it, we were, we loved it, but we were also like, how can text function in an immersive piece? Obviously that's more of a dance piece, we obviously work uh, with dance and physical uh, parts of our shows, but we are really interested in text and, and how can you use text in a meaningful, um, deliberate way and do kind of deliberate storytelling with said text. Um, and so that, that's definitely something that from the beginning we've been interrogating with the work is how, how are we using text and, and that we want text to be a, a strong part of the experience. So as a creative team, several of you have both traditional theatrical and dance in your backgrounds, correct? Yes. Yeah. I definitely, when I did my undergrad, I went for theater and dance, but I was also uh, a competitive figure skater for many wow. years. That's actually how I got into acting, was I realized uh, I liked the performance aspect way more than the athletic aspect. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it just kind of naturally led that way. So um, movement is really important to me. I, I always, uh, I'm an advocate for including movement in our works when it's right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't come up in all of our pieces, but in larger scale pieces like Johnny, there is usually a place for it. In smaller scale productions like the Kansas collection, where it's a little bit more intimate, so far we haven't seen any. We might, but it might be more yeah. of a social movement. But it is, I mean, <laughs> there, is something, there is something that uh, can be expressed through movement sometimes that cannot be expressed through text, you know, this ineffable emotion transmitted through the human body uh, rather than through words. But words are our primary mode of storytelling, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The audience role, which you mentioned, Julianne, um, I detect that evolving with you guys because the audience in uh, Johnny the Cycle Part 1 behaved differently than in Part 2. And one of the things that, and, and now in the Kansas collection, you're asking different things of the audience. Uh, the experimentation that you're doing that with that is really interesting. And I, one of the things that Johnny Part One was the first piece that I saw from you guys. I had heard about Ebenezer after it had finished, and um, but uh, I actually met one of your company, and he said to me, he said, "Yeah, I'm working with this group, and we're doing sort of an immersive version of Johnny Got His Gun." And I just lit up because I knew Johnny Got His Gun. So I immediately, like that day, was like, I have to see this, I have to get a ticket. But in that piece, you, you sort of used the audience as, um, as a vessel for part of what was going on in the show. Like they became different people throughout the show. 
And one of the things that I thought happened in that show was it added to almost a dreamlike quality. And that show was much about the flashback and the memories that Johnny has. So, you know, a, a, an actor would say a line and ask the audience member to echo it. And it created this weird dreamlike vibe, this atmosphere of you are, you are becoming part of the flashback. And it got deeper and deeper as the show went on. So that final sequence, which was a train ride, you know, that, that final emotional room was devastating. And it was partially because we had echoed so much of what the emotion of the characters was. And then now that, you know, in Johnny part two, you became an active participant in numerous versions of those scenes. So, you know, can you comment on Johnny part three? What is coming? Are you deliberately trying to change the audience role again? How are you developing that? Interesting. Well, <clears throat> I mean, first, first I would say that uh, you are right to notice that um, we are constantly trying to sort of evolve and, and interrogate the way in which we engage audience members. Um, no two of our pieces have really had all of the same uh, control mechanisms because we we're always learning and we're just expanding mm -hmm. on all of this. Um, so the in Johnny Part 3, um, we are continuing to investigate uh, Johnny's mode of communication as he now realizes that he is alive in this body and is trying to find a way to express himself. Um, and uh, we're also starting to take a look at aspects of Dalton Trumbo's own life and particularly relating it to some of the House of Un-American Activities hearings. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll be evolving uh, beyond the time frame of the Johnny book itself to also start to incorporate some of those elements into the piece to juxtapose Trumbo's life with the experience of Johnny as well. So I think for part three, one of the bigger evolutions is this incorporating other elements besides just the novel, which we started doing in part two. Part mm -hmm. one was very focused on the book itself. Um, I would say actually we learned a lot between one and two about the form. And so in a lot of ways in three, we're looking to strength, strengthen the choices we started making in two with that. Um, while we're always looking to interrogate form and audience interaction, I also think we always are trying to do what is best for the piece mm. and what suits the experience and story we want to tell. So we don't, we don't do it differently just to do it differently right. or just because it would be novel. We really want to do what's going to support the experience we want the audience to have for that piece. And I think for Johnny 3, we are really working with the idea of even more intensely um, letting the that audience member experience what it would be like to be Johnny. We made a decision pretty early on in the process for Johnny 1 that uh, uh, just like the book, everything is in Johnny's head. And uh, so things may start to warp and bend with who other people are, who you feel like you are in that particular moment. Uh, and like we mentioned, time is going to start to smear throughout part three. Uh, but uh, the idea is that for all three of the cycles, you are in Johnny's mind. Mm -hmm. That is always a consistent thing with the Johnny cycle. And, and much like the book, you know, part of what's interesting is in that state, um, the lines between reality and dream are unclear for him. How do you know when you're asleep or awake if you can't uh, open your eyes, if you can't, can't, you don't have these facilities to like engage with what, where the world is actually at. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's exciting is there are moments, you know, is this really real? Am I, am I dreaming this? Like where, and part of it is for the audience to have to, 
figure that out as well, much like Johnny has to parse through that in the book. And in the uh, forward to the book, uh, Trumbo gives this uh, wonderful introduction in later prints where he says, you know, all these people keep asking him to update it so that it would be about this particular war, about this particular war. And he ends it with this wonderful line where he says, I've left it as it is to see what it was or to see what it is. Mm -hmm. I've left it how it is, is basically what he's trying to say. And uh, so we felt it was important, too, that in this breaking of time that uh, uh, that we acknowledge that because time has moved on since World War One, and there have been other battles that have been fought. And that thematically is definitely something that you'll see in part three is though um, it's kind of the, the machine and the cycle. And mm -hmm. so in many ways, uh, if you do read the book, there are these, these four words and you can see from war to war kind of the responses and the, you know, sometimes people feel differently about the book based on the motivations of said war. But again, in many ways, it does feel like we're trapped in this, in this cycle and, and that there is a sort of war machine pushing us, pushing us back into battle again and mm -hmm. again. And we're sort of left with the same, the same consequences. And there, you know, is kind of this question of, can we ever break out of it? Is this inevitable? You know, and particularly given the uh, the cheerful ending of the book, um, you know there there is a there is a question of you know how, just how long is Johnny going to be left there in the right. state, ignored, and uh, are we ever truly going to learn the lessons that he's trying to impart? So, what drew you guys to Johnny Got His Gun? Why that piece? Uh, well, I read the book in high school. Um, and it was something that just infected my mind. Uh, I couldn't get rid of it. Um, the images and the ideas and thinking about the experience of what it would be like to be in that space. It was, it was one of the most profound things that I'd ever read, um, mm -hmm. as a high schooler. And, um, when I got to college, I started, uh, experimenting with more experimental, uh, theater forms and read a lot about, uh, some of the happenings and uh, early work of Richard Schechner and uh, the performance group and Dionysus in 69 and all of these amazing uh, performance events uh, that, that seem to be sort of relegated to the past. And I started thinking about, you know, well, what are the ways that we can bring this into a contemporary context? And, and Johnny was always kind of in the back of my head. So actually in my undergrad thesis, I experimented with some sensory deprivation for audience members with this idea of, um, you know, first you come in blindfolded, but then as you're standing there in the blindfolds, a bank of lights are coming up in front of your face so you can feel the heat on your skin and then the lights are taken off and you're, or, I'm sorry, the uh, blindfolds are taken off and yet you're still blind. Um, and, uh, and that was all kind of drawn from, from the experience of that book. So then when we all got together and started working with each other and, and said, all right, well, we're actually going to make, we're going to make this a thing. What are some ideas for upcoming pieces? I said, all right, you're going to think I'm crazy, but there's this book. And, and I really think that we can make a piece out of it. And I, Julianne, I think at first begrudgingly, um, said, fine, fine, I'll pick it up and I'll read it. And then cut to a week and a half later or something, because you tore through it. Yeah, but it was funny. I yeah. literally read like the first section, like yes. maybe 10 pages in, I'm texting Matthew, yeah. like, 
What we, did you make me read? <laughs> <laughs> we, you're right. We have to do this, and so and so we put it on the on the list. But we figured it would be another two or three years before we would really have the bandwidth to try to create something that ambitious because we knew it was going to be yeah. a challenge. And we um, had other pieces that we were working yeah. on at the time that we thought were going to come up much sooner. Right, and then. But as I mentioned yeah. earlier, spaces sometimes kind of find their way to us. Um, we had the chance uh, to see the Pasadena American Legion, mm -hmm. and it's it's a unique and beautiful space. And um, they were interested in, in in letting us use it to do a show, and and that just seemed like the natural like we had wanted to do this piece. It was kind of in the on the back burner, and here here was the moment where it's like this is the space to begin it. Now, the space is not a huge space, and that was definitely when I say begin it. You know, our initial idea was to do a singular show, but then we realized there was just so much within the book and so much we wanted to explore. And and I do think there's something with when you create immersive theater, it takes longer. Uh, it's You can't fit as much in because you're having to create the space for the audience to engage with it, which takes a little longer than maybe a traditional just scene would. Um, and so we realized we, we could try to squish everything into this one hour long experience or we could liberate ourselves of that. And that's where this idea of the trilogy was kind of born. And the book itself is divided into two sections. There's the dead and then the living. Um, but we figured that we actually needed three in order to address these three individual spaces that we identified within the book. This idea of the dreamlike past, the flashback that you were referring to, then something that's actually excised from the book, which is this idea of the war itself, of the explosion, of the event um, because that actually is is hardly addressed at all in the book and then finding this space of okay now here I am here's my new reality now what what do I do um, so that's what we're moving into in the chapter three <laughs> or I'm sorry part three yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and is that how the multiple tracks were born just from the logistics of there was so much or did you go in with the intention all the time to have... I guess how was the decision made to have the multiple tracks? I mean, tracks? I, think, I think the multiple tracks within the piece... Um, yes, on one level, there's just a lot of material and, and we were very inspired. On another level, we are interested in creating uh, variations within the experience because we think that means after the show, uh, you can come together with other audience members and share your experience and you haven't had the same experience. And, and mm -hmm. that's something I think, again, you know, in our initial experiences with immersive theater, we were really excited about where it was like, wow, you leave this show and you're talking about it for three or four hours with the people you potentially attended it with. And that's so different than I felt like I was going to see like a play with a friend. And afterwards we'd talk about it for like 10, 15 minutes, but then we kind of moved on to whatever else. And I found that, just the the conversation it generated that's that's part of what we're looking to do right we're trying to create space to um to create these very immersive and intense emotional experiences for the individual but then to create community out of those individual experiences and, and also interested in investing in repeatability and sort of replay value to use a video game terminology mm -hmm. um, because you were able to come and see the second johnny piece three times is yeah. that correct and had fairly different experiences i repeated only other than the wraparound opening and closing of the show i only repeated one sequence which is stunning to me i i literally can't wrap my brain around how you guys did that 
it took effort. <laughs> but, but I do think it's... I do, I, and, uh, seriously, yeah. I understand. I get how much work you guys put into that show. And it's astounding. Because I know that show was a monumental creation. It was like, and I, I applaud you guys and I thank you guys. Because I know Mike and I both had wonderful, extremely emotional experiences at that show. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the things for me, you know, because you're exactly right. The the talk the after talk is just as much mm -hmm. as part of the show as the actual show is. And there are meetups happening almost after every show nowadays in LA. Like people like, okay, I'm going to this bar. Let like let's meet there and, and talk about it, you know, because some some need a drink after some things they encounter. Some just want to like geek out about it. And that's one of the best parts because it's like, oh my God. And then I went into this room and the guy in the closet and I'm like, wait, what? You know, and that's what happened with Russell and I. And, you know, the, the fact like I'm pretty new to, oh, when I saw Johnny, I was pretty new to the, the multiple tracks. So when I went back a second time and I, and I, you know, I had emailed like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to come back. Do I need to do anything? And they're like, Nope, just thanks for letting us know. And, and when I went and I told Lyman, I mean, not Lyman. Uh, sorry. <laughs> All right. You're crossing the stream. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I told him, you know, hey, um, I emailed. This is my second time. He's like, we know. Don't worry. And it's like, what? You know, and my head exploded at that point. And I got a completely different show. And exactly what Russell just said is like, it was mind blowing. We do try to, when we're making the multiple tracks, we're assuming people are only going to see it once. And so we do mm -hmm. want to make sure that whatever track you fall on, that you are having hopefully the best experience possible and that and that we are thematically creating a, a consistent experience. And that it's a complete narrative yes. experience, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's not, you're, you're not going to go through a track and then not understand it because you missed a certain element. We want to make sure that it's a complete piece for you. And I think you succeeded in that with Johnny Part 2 because after my first time through, I reflected on, uh, you know, there was some talk of the so soldiers in the kitchen and what they had to do and what they had to learn. And then elsewhere in the show, I sort of caught glimpses of another sequence, which I didn't go through, but it connected to what I was told and what I learned in the kitchen. So thematically, it completely like, oh, off in the distance, those troops exist. And mm -hmm. off in the distance, those troops are going through hell. So it, it made perfect sense that I caught a glimpse of that, but I didn't experience it myself. So I think you succeeded very well on that. If I had only gone to Johnny part two once, it would have still been one of my absolute favorite immersive shows oh. I've ever gone to. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great to hear. We definitely, too, with the multiple tracks, tried to uh, take advantage of returning to spaces. I, and this is just tying into it because you guys mentioned the closet scene. And we both got to see what's called closet number three. There were actually three different closet experiences that people could have. But only <laughs> one person got to experience each one a night. So it's one of those things where it's like just on the off chance that you'd be talking with another person, you might be like, oh, I was in the closet. But then if you start talking, then you find out your experience in the closet right. was actually another layer down. Yeah, somewhere along the way, I did hear about somebody. Uh, we, I had that experience, exactly, with someone yeah. else. I'm drawing a blank on who it was. But yeah, because and also because it happened very early in their show, I believe. Yeah. And that was when we started like, wait, how could, it wouldn't make sense early. Wait, what? Right. And we had that conversation oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah, you had something very different than I did. So, um, yeah, the, the multiple tracks, I, I literally am fascinated by the, the structure of how you control that. 
you know, just as, as a logistics of, of your show, is it timed from the actors' performances, or do you have a stage manager calling cues? We do not have a stage manager <laughs> calling cues. You what know, a quaint idea. You know, you know I, 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 I appreciate that it seems magical and smooth. Uh, it's definitely, that's, that's a space that we're just, we're just running with it. You know, we set these things up. We've, we've timed them. Timing in immersive theater is a really strange beast mm-hmm. because there's this this audience variable and it can really change how how fast or slow things happen. But uh, we try to create these checks and balances that will if 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 something gets hiccuped or if performers kind of get caught with a group of audience members and can't move it forward, that will hopefully push it forward or force it forward. But Again, it's a lot of checks and balances built into the performance, and then there's a lot of just... There's always a little extra content. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we, we, do, we do build a fair amount of, of extra content where it's like if... Because we don't want it to be pointless filler. That's definitely a big mm-hmm. thing we, right. we try yeah. to avoid. We, we really try to avoid uh, putting actors in a space where they just have to improv because again we want to be controlling the narrative you're getting we're really right. trying to use text deliberately and to tell a specific story so there's we create a fair amount of content that people might never hear i think as it, a safety space yeah it's it's funny when actors receive scripts from us for the first time uh you know chris, chris will walk people through it and uh they'll say what what are these five monologues i don't understand why i have five monologues for this moment we say memorize them all please yeah. thank you it's, it's definitely one of those things where yeah. in the moment you're like there's so much i'm never going to need this but then like there will be that one person who will say that one thing and that fifth monologue is like the perfect response to it yeah. so then you gotta you gotta go with that we like giving actors options, oh, too. Yeah. That's yeah. the other thing. Because there is this moment of interaction, and you, you want to be responsive. We don't want them to, again, completely go off script and improv, so we love having them to have multiple choices and be able to respond with something that's written, but yeah. that feels right based it, on what that And we don't want it to said. be so rigidly on the rails that it feels like we're not able to give you that kind of individualized attention and, and response, because I think that that's something that, based on the scale of the pieces that we're creating right now, we are able to be pretty nimble and individualized, uh, both in terms of the the moments within the piece itself and in terms of what you were speaking about of uh, dealing with people who are coming for multiple iterations of something and making sure that they do have uh, a unique and different experience because that matters to us you know the making sure that the audience experience is magical every time and that there are uh, fresh surprises and, and new angles to, to approach our pieces so and I, I do think uh, you know a lot of it too is we have great performers and mm-hmm. um, they they bring so much to the piece, not just in their skill as as actors, but also just their presence, their presence, yeah. and their and their their nimbleness to handle handle stuff as it comes up. But um, as people who've seen multiple shows with us, we do have um, performers we work with regularly. Mm-hmm. We are always trying to fold in new performers too. But um, definitely, I feel like our performers have grown in the form as we've grown with the form as a company, and so. In many ways, they're, um, as we learn things, they're learning things as well. And it's been really great to be able to to um, work with that knowledge, knowing that they have it. And to it allows us to develop more complicated situations, more 
intricate interactions and uh and a shorthand of vocabulary from past pieces where we can say okay well we're gonna set up a moment sort of like this thing right. from johnny one but we're tweaking it to involve this because I, I do think, you know, it's it's a different performative style. So you can have a great actor who's who actually really struggles in the form and it's it's definitely not for everybody. We've worked with people before who are who fantastic are like who, actors. fantastic actors and they were like, Okay, I did that and, and I love you guys, but I don't think this is, is for me and, and that that's that's we, we definitely respect that because it is it is a much different experience as a performer to be sitting, you know, a foot away from an, an audience member who's been given permission to to speak and to move and to touch and uh it, and as much as we say we don't want actors to improv there's always an element of that there has to be and it's a delicate balance of responding and kind of veering off the script and coming back to the we script. kind of are like improv your way back to the script that's always the mm -hmm. do what you need to do to respond in the moment, but always try to pull it back to the story. And especially telling. for a show like Johnny, where the content is very intense and is very serious, I think that's very important to us. Okay. There are other shows that we have where uh, actors are much more responsive in the moment and have more freedom. Mm -hmm. I would say there are moments in the Kansas collection where actors have more freedom, but they are also at this point, so invested in their character that they always know exactly where to go. Would you also consider The Stronger to be one of those pieces that has more flexibility? Ooh, that's interesting. There are, there are points about The Stronger that, yes, they have to be much more flexible, but there are other points that have to be very rigid. Um, uh, there are two characters, uh, actors in The Stronger, and one of them has much more flexibility than the other. Mm -hmm. uh, as the character with, with more flexibility, you do have to very much respond to who is sitting across from you as the audience member. I always talk about, as a performer in The Stronger, uh, it's such an amazing piece to do. Because as you meet that audience member, you get a vibe off of them in the first 10 seconds and your performance changes based on who that person is. So you might do that show 10 times that night and you have the same script, but it is always going to be different because you have to, you have to see who shows up and you have to be the right person for that person, if that makes sense. So the, the script is the same and you will always come back to the script, but the feeling behind it, the intention behind it, the interaction that you have, it could drastically change based on that audience member. Yeah, and I think that that's one element when we speak about uh, the skills that our actors are learning is that ability to scan someone emotionally, right? And, and to try to get a sense of how you can best interact with that person to give them the most positive experience possible. So. Yeah. And I, I do think there is a, like, a first time experience for performers. I feel like post a lot of people's first show they do with us, it's like, Wow, that mo that very first moment where I realize like I'm here with this audience member right now, and it is just the two of us, and that there there is a weight and a, a responsibility, and you know just the power of you know you're looking in their eyes and they are there. That's one thing that I love about the stronger. Not to give too much away, but there is a moment at the end of the piece that very much is just about you and that person and a real conversation. Mm -hmm. That is not a very scripted conversation. 
that is a true, honest moment of connection between those two people. And that, that always makes me, that makes me excited. I love that part of The Stronger, to, to have that moment with, with each person each time. I want to clarify something real quick. We've been talking about these shows. Uh, Mike and I are familiar with your work and your shows. Uh, the Stronger is a show which, as you mentioned, was two characters. Uh, and you perform that in a very public space. Uh, the audience member comes and meets you in a public space, and the show takes place as lots of stuff in a very real environment is taking place around you. Johnny, however, is location-specific, and it is more of a, I would, uh, structured is not the right word, but I'll go with that. And it's more of a performance thing where the interactive, the interactive aspect of that comes from uh, each individual scene in the way it's structured. Johnny, in case you haven't gathered this, is about a wounded soldier who's dealing with the memories as he is lying in a hospital bed. And The Stronger is about a relationship where you suddenly learn much more than you ever may be expecting <laughs> to from a stranger about the relationship. Yes. So I just wanted to clarify that for our listeners as to what kind of what shows we're talking about. And we, 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 do, we do a lot with kind of adaptation and inspiration from other sources so the stronger was actually is based on Strindberg's the stronger um, we've definitely obviously with the immersive element it's had a lot of changes and um, we've made it very contemporary it's now crafted to capture kind of the world of Los Angeles and there uh, are different versions of the stronger I, I was gonna say yeah. and, and like the track thing depending uh, when you go and who you get you're getting a different experience I'd say there's I think we have about five working versions of the stronger wow, because they've right been now. custom tailored to the actresses who are playing those roles. So I have to ask: Have you ever considered doing an all-male version of the stronger? <laughs> you know, we, we've been asked about. Uh, we, we've been asked about. Wow, it, there was and, this weird uh, moment around the table. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, <laughs> uh, it's definitely come up. We've had people. I, I do think I, we'd obviously have to create a new script for it. Yes. The, so the dynamic and the form of the interaction. Completely, you could do that with with two men, um, but I do think the nature of of the con of of what happens right now, those mm -hmm. scripts are crafted and they're crafted for um, a female experience. There isn't a there is of course a male version of that, but I do think it's a diff. It would need it would need to be created as a deliberate and and specific experience it definitely would need a new script well as someone who's gone through the stronger i i found that fascinating and as mike said we have the conversations afterwards mm -hmm. it's like i hung out you know at a bar nearby and multiple people who were going through the stronger the night we all met later like okay what was it like for you what was what was the most intense what was the most interesting and one of the things that came up is like it would have to be a very different dynamic mm -hmm. between the two characters if you did explore that. But we thought it would be a really interesting dynamic to see explored. Well, and that that's something I actually find really interesting about The Stronger as a piece is what your response as an audience member is as a woman versus as a man going through the piece. I was I, horrified. I was so embarrassed and like, I, I, yeah, I was. <laughs> and, and, and not that, you know, obviously everyone has a really individual experience of it, so it doesn't need to be gendered, but there is something, I think, as a man being invited into this moment between two women that might oh, be different yeah. than the experience as a woman being invited into this moment between two women would be. And it's, it's, it, to me, it's been interesting when audience talk to me about it, about how that, that's different for them. And, and a lot of that's based on 
you know, their own experiences. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's interesting too, as we talk about this and we talk about Johnny, I'm, I'm just reflecting on <laughs> how, how it can be sometimes hard to communicate to people that this is also fun. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, oh, that's so funny. And, Mike and I had a moment in a recent podcast where it was like, wait, wait, Mike, we have to remind people that this is really a blast. Yeah. Yeah. We really had a great time. I think this question of fun is a really exciting topic. Like yeah. what is fun and what does fun look like? And, mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, it's, well, these can be really emotional experiences. I mean, fun is, fun is having an experience that takes me away from my, my day job and my computer and mm -hmm. gets me out of my apartment and off the couch and, um, and puts me in a space to experience something. And, uh, and so I do think it's, it is fun. It's, it may be fun isn't the right word. It's exhilarating, right? Like yes. it's exciting. It's it's powerful and let's be honest a lot of life is is gray and and kind of hangs on a level and that's great but i mean we got to do that to to survive but uh, i do think that's what this offers and and particularly if you're open to it and and i do think you know audience as an audience member you are where you are when you come into the piece and you are who you are but um if you can be open to the experience i do think It'll, there are rewards to be had and uh, to let go in some ways of what you think it's going to be or what you want it to be and to to just be open to to the the clues you're being given um, to, to let yourself not be scared to not worry about doing it wrong again we really um, it's really important to us the audience we really want to take care of our audience and and sometimes when audiences don't get the clues we generally put that on us we didn't set it up correctly we didn't make it clear and and and, and that clear is a tough part we want it to be subtle right we don't want to tell you what to do but we need to tell you what to do so mm -hmm. how can you build that into the experience in a way that it feels like part of the story part of just part of the world but also makes it clear to them how what what are the rules of the, this dynamic and engagement and uh, and uh, you know the audience is vital to it. It, it is the the key with, with without these shows would not exist without, without an audience. Like, when we try to run and rehearse and there's no one else in the room but the actors. It's sad. Sad. <laughs> it, it, it just in no way <clears throat> captures what no. actually the experience is. Yeah. And, and maybe for some of your listeners, that's less of an issue, but, but definitely in the past, uh, when you describe the concept behind Johnny and behind the Johnny cycle, I think people say, oh, that sounds a little intense, or I don't know that that's really yeah. for me. Um, and, and yes, I mean, the, the themes and the, and the experiences, some of them are very intense and emotional, but it's, it, there's a, there's a payoff you know and i think it does it is something that feels very satisfying to be a part of um it's not uh, it's not a haunt right it's not mm -hmm. a it's not something that we're asking people to engage in any kind of like frightening or or uh well, taxing I well i don't know but but no, but no taxing physical tasks or anything right. of that nature um it's uh you know but it is an emotional journey um uh, and there are people who who said that they, you know, oh well, that's 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 too much for me for whatever reason, whether they're a vet and they have some PTSD symptoms and things of that right. nature, and I don't think I can put myself in that position. That's fine. But have you encountered that with John? Uh, we have actually. Well, with audience members who who chose not to 
become a part of it oh, okay. or I, I, had to bail. Yeah, you know? I, I, we had a couple people leave from Johnny. And, and in most cases, they were people brought some, they were someone that was brought to the show by someone else. And, and they maybe didn't understand exactly mm, what the experience would entail. Yeah. So that on, on when they left, you know, again, we're... That, that's we're not going to obviously stop anyone from leaving we we really do try to take care of our audience that's really important to us mm -hmm. that we want them to feel like that they're the machine is there to support them we are not trying to put them in dangerous or compromising situations if you need to step out we understand that we're we're only checking in to make sure you're okay, mm -hmm. not because we're questioning your choice. And it's not always comfortable, but it is always safe. Right? But That's, yeah, yes. yeah. But but most often when people would step out of Johnny, it was just that they didn't know what they were getting into, mm -hmm. and they didn't feel like they were ready for it. And um, which I think is uh, a completely um, valid valid reason. That being said, I also feel though uh, Johnny is something that on the outside can sound, I think. Um, like potentially a scary or daunting piece to face. I do think though that once people are in it again, it's um, it, well, it's very emotionally intense. It's also not, um, you know, again, it's a lot of it's uh, theatrical and, and it's finding mm -hmm. different ways to express it. So, you know, the battlefield, it, it's again, it's not a haunt. It's not that there are corpses, bloody corpses scattered around a room that you're, you're, Waiting through. Waiting through. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not, you know, the first scene of Saving Private Ryan. Right. You're not suddenly in that. You know, it's, uh, it, it is in many ways a more dream, dreamlike world and kind of the physical presentation of it. We, we love telling stories and the fact that the audience are the, want to hear these stories. That's what, that connection is the thing that keeps us going. It's like, thank you for listening to our stories. Yeah. This is how we want to tell these stories. And as we were driving over here, uh, you know, we just finished our most recent remount of The Key last night. And I was saying, God, this show is so much fun. It, it, mm. it's, it's so much fun to perform. I love being in that connection with other humans and, and being surprised and having that live, that live dynamic. It's, it's exhilarating. From well, a performer perspective as well, and you, you, so I get surprised myself. I, I went through the key again, not this remount, but the remount before, and I, it had been a while since I'd seen it. And uh, going through, it, I, I was kind of taken aback. I was like, "Wow, this really is a moment." And and even though I, I know the performer, and mm -hmm. uh, I know the script, I know everything, and even within that, it was even knowing everything, it was like, "Oh, this is a real moment." Wow, even. Even knowing everything, I can still appreciate that I don't get this all the time. <laughs> the key is so much fun to perform. I was just thinking about last night. And, and, and like the stronger, everyone that walks into that room, they also create half of the performance mm -hmm. in a way. So it, it's not just us as actors. It's so much of it is on, on them in a, in a great way. And I I love people's reactions and they're always so different and what people know and what people don't know and how that affects the way the story rolls for that, those five, 10, 15 minutes is, you know, it's always, it's always shocking and surprising. And you know, in some ways it's hard to perform in more traditional theatrical, <laughs> uh, settings now, or, you know, for film it's, uh, 
because you this it, it doesn't have that charge you know mm. there's something that is it's their first time yeah. they are truly experiencing it in the moment and as an actor that's what you're looking to create a mm. real true this is the first time it's happening for me and when i'm across from you and it is really the first time that you're experiencing that that makes my job as an actor so much easier and it does feel real in a way that you know if i'm on stage with another actor in a more proscenium setting you have to work a lot harder to yeah. to make that and true. it's the seven the 70th time you've performed that scene you know as opposed to but this is the first the first yeah. every time and that's yeah. what it feels like with with things like the key and the stronger even though i have done both of those shows more times than i can count it feels like the every time you start it is the first time when that person walks mm -hmm. in the room you don't know truly what is going to happen i think going back to the word play because that's something that's come up on this podcast between Mike and myself. That's the word I always go back to. And play can leave you in tears. Mm -hmm. And play can leave your heart broken. But play can also be exhilarating is the word you used. And, and so I, I think that exploration, the other word that, that Mike and I quite often go back to, just exploration. That's the way I started the podcast today. Because that's what you guys have given us as fans. Well, and I think it's interesting because, again, that space post-show where you can talk about your experiences, it's so important and so exciting. And it, this idea of creating community, I think, uh, you know, the arts want to help foster community and discussion. But, um, but what's interesting, too, is I'm always like, but also don't judge your experience compared to, like, well, you want to mine other people's experience, don't judge your own experience if it looked or felt different than someone else's. Because I think mm -hmm. about your personal nature, right? You, uh, your friend was more talkative, you weren't. That doesn't mean your experience was any less or that you didn't participate correctly or that they participated incorrectly. And, and I, it, I think about sometimes, I remember um, in a piece once it was this question of like, what's the worst thing you've ever done? And some people treated that as a confessional space and mm -hmm. some people didn't answer. But that the person who doesn't answer doesn't mean they don't think about it, that it doesn't create the space for them to ask that of themselves. And I think whether you share or not, it is an equal experience within that. And I think that's one of the unique aspects of this for audiences. My uh, family lives uh, on the other side of uh, the country over in Maryland. <clears throat> so this summer was the first chance that they got to come and see one of the speakeasy shows. And so my mother kept saying that she was worried about it because, you know, it's such an intense topic and she was worried about that. And she's never done immersive theater before. And like, what if I do it wrong? And so I had to keep explaining to her, I was like, there's the only way to do immersive theater wrong is to try to break the world. Like, as long as you're just in it, then you're fine. Just answer honestly and truthfully, <laughs> and it'll be great. <clears throat> so I finally, finally got her to, to, to do it. And uh, she told me afterwards that in the final uh, dance sequence, Johnny Two ends with a New Year's party, and there's a dance. And she ended up dancing with Kane which, by the way, would make a great title for a novel. That's a gift for everyone. <laughs> dancing with Kane. I, or an she, indie rock band. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Uh, but she was dancing with Kane, and there's a moment when the dance breaks apart and the characters start talking to you separately, echoing words that are going throughout the whole room about, you know, what progress does a wheel make. And my mom said that in that moment she had, like, one-on-one -on -one connection with Kane, and she was just, like, she was, like, I was on the verge of tears when that was happening. Uh, so that's that's my story about like this is that's the type of experience you can expect. It's not it's not daunting. It's not impossible, but it, it is intense and emotional. But it's interesting because there are also moments where 
It's fun and joyful, strangely. And playful. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You were dancing with Kane two yeah. seconds ago. Yeah. 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 And that is something yeah. I think that will also happen in, in Johnny 3. There mm-hmm. will be intense difficult moments but there i love those moments those moments of play and freedom i think about in johnny too the basic training the first kitchen scene with the pillows yes and and like it 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 was fun it's a fun scene in its own way and uh so i i do think until you realize until you realize what you're (laughs) what, what what's actually happening but again that that it's playful, the interactions, and, and, and also it's easy, right? I feel like that was a scene where you, were, you had a specific role, you were asked to do specific tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone could achieve said tasks. They weren't, they weren't hard tasks to, to complete, and there's something fun and satisfying about doing them. Yeah, and, and you became part of the group. I think the audience that I was with, the, the few of us that were in the room, we bonded. Mike spoke about this on the podcast when we talked about that show of the weird aspect of it's fun it's playful you're interactive and then you realize wait they're teaching me really dark violent stuff but in this weird participatory almost playful manner Mm -hmm. so it just adds to the emotion and the thought that you give the show and this is going to come out so wrong and i don't mean it to sound this way (laughs) but how cool is it that your mom was on the verge of tears You you know, like the fact that like everyone wants to make their parents proud. Like, I mean, for you and for like the team as creators, knowing that you affected someone's parents like that much. Like, I mean, oh yeah, how does that make you feel? Awesome. Yeah, because it was my mother, my my brother, and my father who all came out, and I loved it because I I didn't get to meet up with them until way later because they saw it on the very last night. So we all had gone out to have a moment of like we did a thing, yay. Uh, and then I went back to the hotel just to, to catch up with them. And they had already gone to bed, but they left a uh, uh, this note for me where they had actually charted out minute by minute what scenes they saw. Like charting out because so, they all went on different <laughs> oh. tracks. And like and that was just that made my day. I well, loved, I so loved cool. seeing that yeah. note. It was that so was exciting. amazing. <laughs> and, and, and how cool, too, that you're representing these different generations coming to see the show. Um, because that's something that fascinates me as well is that it's not all young people uh, coming to see the piece that this is something that is accessible um, to people of a variety of ages Um, we have several people that are regulars at our pieces who must be in their late 60s early 70s i would say and, and we still... have people who bring their children yeah and we have people who bring their kids so awesome. so the 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 span is is wonderful um you know the only only barrier to entry really is that most of our shows are somewhat mobile so uh right. it, it can be difficult for people who don't have uh a fair amount of mobility, um, but that's something where we try to work on and address. Yeah. And that, that's, def- oh, I was going to say that's definitely something too. If someone reaches out to us about it, we again, based on on what the show is, if we can find a way to make it work, we will. Uh, in Johnny Two, we definitely created a, a bit of an alternate track to to accommodate someone who was just a little less mobile on their their feet than the normal. And uh, uh, again, you know. I think we, that that alternate track that was created very spur of the moment still had a fair amount of integrity mm-hmm. to it. So, I have a question about Johnny too for 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 you guys. When you enter the church, you're told you're Johnny, mm-hmm. and then you have to sign in. And one of the things Russell and I were just <laughs> like, "Oh my god!" about is 
how many people sign their name as Johnny. Mm -hmm. And now when you saw that at the end of the night, where I think you were actually at the desk watching that, like, but did it just make you smile every time someone signed Johnny? It was like, oh my God, they get it. It did, yeah. And I mean, that was pretty amazing. And And I think having that portal and that initial opportunity for people to buy in uh was really important because not not that if they didn't sign their name as johnny they were going to be a bad audience member but uh that that was an indicator that someone was really invested in the experience they understood their role which was a felt like we could pat ourselves on the back for that for a second and i have to admit i didn't I didn't assume that anyone would do that. And after the first opening (laughs) night when that happened, it was like, oh... Oh, and uh, yes. and and going forward, that is, I, I think everyone signed in as Johnny for the yeah. whole run, but uh, that was not something I was I was assuming would happen. Yeah, we still get surprised, and we learn things from yeah. audiences all the time that that, that inform uh, our work moving forward. So. Yeah. We, we are known for making changes during shows. <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we do a lot of, obviously, play tests, and we bring people in to try things out. But you, things happen, yeah. and, and things go in unexpected ways, and we like to be open to mm-hmm. making changes if, if those occur. So. Well, and I think uh, one of the challenges that we run into is we are a small company. Um, often what that means is that our runs have to be somewhat shorter because we're borrowing space with limited capital and uh that means that sometimes when we are being responsive and we're making adjustments to the piece that is during the course of an actual run um for this for this johnny piece uh for johnny three we're going to have a a preview weekend so for people who are really excited about coming to see the the piece uh at its at its outset we have that available and then we'll have uh three weekends of of regular run after that as well so Trying to uh, a four week run is is uh, feels like an accomplishment for us in some ways. Uh, uh, trying to give as many people an opportunity to see the piece as possible because we're looking at about audiences of of thirty for each of these performances as well. And will you have multiple shows per night? Uh, not at this point. We're not thinking that we'll be able to do that just based on the the logistics of the space. Ah, okay. And by by not trying to do two shows in one night it also means that the experience itself can be a little longer and right uh that's definitely something that in uh you know obviously johnny two was longer than johnny one and uh and even with johnny two we were you know i think we probably had a, another 10 minutes in that show but because we had planned it to do these two night shows we kind of had to shave a little bit so i think on this last one we really want to well, because this is the end, we are only doing three parts. I, I think we, we want this to be able to stand without having any last, if only we could have, or one more. complete to, in our circle of the exploration. Yeah. So Because it feels important, and it feels, it's been an emotional journey for us as well. So mm. to tie this up and do it right and do it well and really do service to the text and do service to the audience who's accompanying us on this journey. Um, it, it does feel like we have a little bit of a, of a mandate, of a mission here for this third piece. So with, there's been a lot of experiences in LA uh, within the past year that are bringing more and more people into this immersive world. And you have a lot more and more people um, coming to your shows now. With Johnny 3, do people need to see the previous incarnations 
for the show to make sense to them. No, you don't need to see the other other pieces. It yeah. will be a standalone piece. Uh, for people who have seen one and two, we're definitely integrating uh, characters and themes, and and you will definitely see parts from one and two reemerge in a new a new context. Uh, but three is definitely a standalone piece as well. And so I think that's, it's, it's definitely, you don't need one and two to have that's full access yeah, to the we were, emotional experience. I think we were successful in that between Johnny one and Johnny two, I really felt like you did not need to see Johnny one to have a full experience in mm -hmm. Johnny two. And we definitely plan to have it be that way for Johnny three. Now that being said, I think it is useful to have some knowledge of the story of Johnny got his yeah. gun or some knowledge of, and or some knowledge of Trumbo's life in general, um, just because you're going to have a deeper experience if you have an awareness of some of those things. So I think that there were people who came in completely fresh to Johnny two, knowing nothing about the book, knowing nothing about the story, and they were still able to have a full experience, uh, but but maybe did not pick up on some of the elements that people who were a little more uh, well versed in those things would have. Which I which I think is, I mean, that's like sleep no more. That's if everything. if you yeah, right. if you know Macbeth and. It, is it Rebecca? Yeah. Yes. You know, um, you're going to pick up on more things than someone who right. isn't, isn't aware of both. I, when I went through it the first time, I went with someone who, who didn't know anything about the show going in. And, well, they did know Macbeth. They didn't know that had been a source material. And so based on what they encountered, they didn't even realize right. that they were in, like, n their concept of the experience had nothing to do with Macbeth. Like, walking away, they weren't like, this is kind of like Macbeth. Mm. It was like, <laughs> they had created a completely different narrative about vampires. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but again, they had a great experience, and it, for them, it was still an amazing thing, but they just had a different entry into it. And, and I bet the show worked. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it definitely still worked for, for them, but once they were clued in that, you know, Macbeth was a part of it, it was like, oh... Um, and so they were happy with their initial interpretation and they were also happy with their more informed interpretation. And this goes back to a sort of an element of, of show design that we've been talking about a lot recently, which is how do you reward the people who, uh, are diving in deeper or doing extra investigation, uh, while still preserving the core experience for those who just want to come and see the show. Mm -hmm. um, and and keep that keep the integrity of that piece. Don't make it necessary for people to do a, a greater investment of time and energy, um, uh, but do reward those that, that different different yeah. levels of experience. Exactly right. That yeah. you should be able to go in with a base level, not knowing having any prior experience, mm -hmm. and and really have a fulfilling evening. But then maybe there's a second tier for mm -hmm. those who have been to. Johnny too, or have read the book, and their understanding is maybe on a deeper level, and then possibly even a third experience where it feels like, oh yes, I have had this full, everything has come full circle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially for part three, if we're since we're breaking out of the more strict narrative of the novel itself and moving into more real world things, that helps it stand alone as well. And I do think, though, at at the core, we we always want to guarantee the the experience for the person who comes in with nothing, and that then there are these added levels. Mm -hmm. But again, we really do try to, um, you know, and I think people, different groups, can approach them in different ways. Some people really start with the the people who put in the most, right? They they they're crafting the most 
for them and then it's you know what you get if you put in less they they're kind of sometimes okay with maybe that you that it is a lesser experience. a lesser experience yeah. and so we we try to do the inverse of that where we do want right. to really guarantee this solid base level experience and then that build the bonus from build bonus that it's more yeah. bonus add-on stuff versus and that's something we've been playing with in multiple different ways if you've been to a speakeasy show in the past you may have picked up a token or two along the way and often that unlocks mm -hmm. extra content in some way mm -hmm. uh, creating your shows um and I've also attended the hollow uh, which was a different location mm -hmm. and that was a dinner involving a show while dinner was going on and then actual scenes before dessert was served for the Johnny cycle you now have this location so what is if you and I realize I'm I'm sort of asking for what might be secrets here so I understand <laughs> that you I might not get a full answer to this question how does the show come to be the show like what is your creative process you have this location what are you tailing for the creation are you going in with a full concept and adapting it or are you adapting is how much inspiration is the location giving for the piece i mean location is really important so like with johnny three we knew we were going to do a third part of johnny right uh, we had an idea thematically of what we want part three to cover and explore truthfully we need to know the space though before we even begin to create a script mm -hmm. uh, because the space impacts how that that piece is going to be structured how the audience is going to move through it so at one time we were looking at two different spaces for johnny three and they would have been very different shows if we had went in a different direction mm. and the, the space is something that always inspires us so much and we create content based off of the space very often we we find such inspiration in the actual physical structures that things that we probably would never have come up with if we didn't have that spark. So a lot of times on a piece, we will do these kind of create initial creative workshops. And sometimes those are done earlier before we have a space in mind, but we know we want to create something with this material or in this, um, in this arena. And so that, that's kind of more free flowing investigation space. But when we get towards um, knowing that we're going to put a show up, we, we need that space to really okay move move it forward and to to we definitely craft around the space and is it a matter of improving sequences within the space and then the words come as a result of that or no or is it, it is it does it change every time it it depends on it depends on the space how much access we have to it and what the experience mm -hmm. is but definitely so like for johnny three we won't be improvising in the space to necessarily create our scripted portions, but we will write those scripted portions based on ideas we have from that are specific to that space. So a lot of space visits and, and right. touring around and writing down inspiration and then kind of going back to our rehearsal space with those images in our mind mm -hmm. and, and working with that idea while we try different ideas. Because there's so, the, the scripts for these pieces are huge, huge and we create so much content. That's part of why we need the space is technically we could start writing before we have a space, but the reality is we'd probably have to do a fair amount of cuts and changes yeah. and rewrites and given the bulk of, of text that gets generated, <laughs> I think we tr we want to be as as, cer as certain as possible before we begin writing a, a scene. 
for Johnny 2, there was a brief period where we weren't sure if the space was going to come through or not. And uh, just because of time constraints, we started to write some stuff. And we ended up with two scripts for two mini shows. But then when we secured the space for Johnny 2, they just got completely nixed. So we have these two phantom scripts running around our G drive somewhere. But like that's what happens. <laughs> it's like those scripts didn't work when we got the space. And when we got the space, it was so much better than what we had planned. It was like... Great. It was an Let's amazing space. And and that being said, though, there's always something fun with those phantom phantom scripts and 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 kind of we nuggets of ideas. It's always interesting where they reemerge or reappear. We've definitely had moments where something that was cut, uh, we're making something else, and it's like, wait, that would be perfect here, or can we incorporate that idea or that structure into this new piece? And so, in some ways, no work is lost is lost completely, completely but. And uh, something, too, is we usually start with, like, uh, two points and try to work together in the middle. Like, we'll have an idea of, like, the themes or the uh, what the scene we want is. And so in the workshops, we'll ask the actors, like, use these things to try this out and, like, find a new way to have the audience interact. Like, the whole pillow scene with the, the training stuff, that's how we arrived at that. We were like, we knew mm -hmm. we want to do something with the training scene. This one group messed around with pillows. And we were like, that's great. So then we rewrote that scene for the fact that they had on the pillows like we knew the scene was there they improv a little bit yeah. then we brought the script in I, I think that prompt was something about like basic training meets the bakery or something yeah. so that's uh, <laughs> yeah. that was you're like do something like that about. yeah and then the pillows yeah. so I do think that's an important aspect of it we do have ideas of like what we right. what we want that scene to accomplish like what is the overall action a lot of times we have an idea of like we know there's going to be two actors in it these are the sort of characters we think they would be um, so there's a lot of, um, again, because so much content has to be created, we do have to pretty early on come up with a pretty specific map of what we think all these moments are going to be, even though then the creating of them will take longer and filling that out um, takes more time. But we, we do definitely roadmap a piece before we fully build it. One thing I just mentioning about how the spaces will change the scripts. Uh, if you've ever been to the Mountain View Mausoleum in Altadena, it's gorgeous and it has hallways upon hallways upon mm -hmm. hallways. And so one thing in particular that changed is we had to, uh, we spent some time exploring the transportation, the moments of like, you're going from here to there, what what happens on the way? How do you keep it active? How do you keep it active? Yeah. Uh, and like if we had gotten a smaller space, that would, that would not even concern. be a concern. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I do think, you know, as as we make more shows, and again, we're we're learning with every piece as well, and we're definitely adapting and evolving our process. I think that's part of the joy in making it for us, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but um, but I also think what's been exciting is I think uh, you know we're hitting a point where we've we've put enough on its feet and seen how it works that I think. Um, we we do have some secure ideas in, in how things work and how they'll behave. And I also think we're starting to move to a point where we're also rediscovering simplicity in the work. Uh, how, you know, how how is this hallway poetic in itself? You know, uh, thinking about Johnny Three in the mausoleum and um, and how, you know, there's so much you can do in immersive theater and there is a bit of a temptation I think sometimes to keep it busy and to Throw make it complicated it. <laughs> and that and that oh we can have we can ask audience to do this and this and this and this but I think a lot of times some of the most profound moments are are the most simple ones and uh, how can we really take that idea and 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 use it 
in a, in a powerful way. And I, I think I'm excited to to see kind of what we can do with that in in, in the third part of Johnny. Um, the space is is as Chris mentioned, gorgeous, and and it, it's poetic in itself. It's 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 an experience, sans story, actors, yeah. performers, just to be there. So how can how can we deliberately take those elements and 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 let them do kind of do do some work themselves? It's it's interesting, uh, Julianne, what you were saying just sparked something for me too. Talking about simplicity, and I think one of the essential elements of our work and part of what is so attractive to me personally about immersive and this form is the is the actual acknowledgement and awareness of another human body sharing that space with you and we spend so much of our lives now i think moving through media filters uh and in some ways closing ourselves off from the realness of another human reaching out and touching your hand and uh, and the electric quality of that, when that's put into an entertainment context, um, I think is is pretty undeniable. And I think that that's something that is very exciting to me about the essentializing of the work is is coming back to that just core connection of someone looking in your eyes when they speak to you. Because how infrequently does that actually occur? So with your writing and the writing of multiple tracks, and there's ways to get one one on ones and whatnot. How is the safety concern? Because when I was doing Johnny, I was led up to a, a room and then locked the door and I was one-on-one -on -one with an actress. Now, granted, I like to think I'm not a crazy psycho, but what if, like that was the one thing that went through my mind, like what if there was someone that was a crazy psycho in that locked room with the actress? So I was going to say, you weren't actually locked in, but now I'm remembering what room you were in, and I think they did lock the door. Um, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have them lock the door going forward. Um, but, uh, you know, it's definitely, I, again, we, we, a lot of it is on the performer to, to read and handle the situation. There are signs. As a performer, there are signs. And, and I think as you work more and more in this medium, you start to develop a radar for, for reading people. And um, I will say that we have been very lucky and there have not been very many circumstances at all where we have felt like, ooh, this might be a little dicey. Well, we check Usually... in with the performers too about their, about their mm -hmm. level of comfort and safety in a given situation. Um, and I think that the the worst situations that we've encountered. I mean, there was one time at Ebenezer, which involved a fair amount of drinking, where you know someone was basically hitting on one of the one of the female uh, performers, um, and then once, which I think was more just a, a point of confusion in Johnny One, where there was a, a character who said "kiss me," but she's speaking to the other actor who is representing Johnny, but the audience member did not understand that. So. Well, and, 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 yeah. and, and I think it's worth yeah. saying that actress knew that might happen, yes. mm -hmm. was prepared mentally for it. She, on some level, was surprised it didn't happen Certainly. earlier in the run than that. And that audience member didn't do anything wrong. No, because no. ultimately, we did set up and say that, and that's how they read it. And I think we actually designed it with, with the thought, oh, that might occur, and wouldn't that be interesting? And she was okay with that. She had signed on for that. I, I do think, actually, more often than not, it's the reverse. I think audience are more hesitant and tentative and nervous about being 
in a room alone with the performer than I do because I the performer that... does have more control. They know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. As an audience member, you're walking into the unknown. Mm-hmm. I think that is something that we run into more often. Is that and our concern is will that audience member feel safe? And and we definitely have talked to people whose experience was like. I did not feel comfortable alone in a room with an actor. And mm-hmm. that happened during Johnny 2, and mm-hmm. it was just that actor talking to you. Nothing physical happened, but that can be a dangerous space for some people. That amount of intimacy of being in a small room with a person mm-hmm. who's speaking about something that is very charged. And I think it also partially goes back to what we were talking about earlier about people not wanting to break the game or break the show, break the experience. Um, And I think that we try to set up social cues with each of the pieces that that give you some idea of a code of conduct and and behavior. And uh, people have been very good about respecting that uh, on the the whole. So we, we try to establish the parameters early on so that you don't feel confused, you don't feel like you're making a mistake, and that the people that are coming to see our work are generally respectful and uh, enthusiastic and and want a good experience for themselves and for the performers as do we so and i think the you know the one-on-one is is definitely the space i think the the most can happen that people are nervous about because on either side um but again i do think you know we try to take silent cues off the audience you know if an audience member is really hanging back or seems especially nervous we'll try not to pull them into something like that uh, that being said, though, we also try not to just reward the most uh, the most eager or aggressive <laughs> audience members because right. I think that's an important. Um, you know, a lot of times people are like, "Well, just just go for the person who who's who's jumping up, ready to go." And well, like, you should also talk about you as an audience yeah. member, Julianne, because I think you're an interesting case. So so I love immersive. I'm really into it, but I'm a, I'm a pretty quiet audience member. Um, I'll answer a question if I'm asked a question. Um, my answers are pretty straightforward. I don't get very chatty, um, but I definitely want everything. I want to go into that one-on-one. I want to have that experience, but for me, I'm... I'm not looking to... Um, You're not going to push someone out of the way. I'm, get, I'm not going to push someone out of the way. And also, once I'm in the experience, I'm also not going to try to become more of a performer mm-hmm. within it. I'm not not trying to step into the role of the actor. I'm just trying to fulfill my roles. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually a pretty... I, I always remind, you know, as we're going through, where I'm like, I'm, I'm ready for this experience in there, but I'm also not... I'm quiet about it. So it is that thing like you don't want to punish your your, your more reserved, quiet audience members because they they could be as hungry for it as 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 the more eager ones. And so, so I as think- an actor, you have to kind of start to be able to assess: is this person just more reserved? Or are you seeing the cues of don't pick me? Don't fear. Pick me. Like, pick are me. you seeing fear? Because yes. I do think fear is a thing that we do try to, like, if someone seems scared, because, again, our experiences aren't about making you scared. That is not something we're trying to, that, that's not a focus of, of, of our work right now. It's not about creating scary experiences. Emotionally intense, sure. But um, so if someone seems really scared or fearful like we're going to leave them with a larger group of yeah. people and and uh you know in terms of the design if you think about a situation like sleep no more because you're dealing with so many audience members that mm-hmm. is a case where the people who are the pushiest 
often can get the best viewing point or something of that nature. And we don't want to create an experience like that. I've actually heard negative things about Sleep No More, particularly in the last year yeah. or so. I think the culture of it has changed. Yeah, the idea that like there are people literally elbowing each mm -hmm. other out of the way because they've read somewhere that, oh, I have to be here at a particular time. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you know, Julianne, what you were saying about how you participate, being open. I, I think you're right, um, Genevieve. You just said something about like if you detect fear or if you detect uncomfortableness, it's like you have to respect that. You know, and as an audience member, if for some reason I have that going on, I would like it to be respected. Usually hasn't happened with me because I'm very open. But what I, I think I share with you, Julianne, the same thing of. It's not that I try to perform if I'm in a one-on-one, -on -one, but what I do is, I'm just honest. I, I'm horrible at poker because I have no poker face. <laughs> Mike has seen me play poker. <laughs> <laughs> That's the giddy Mike smile right there. That is the giddy Mike smile. <laughs> Seeing him at a casino playing poker is, you, I, it's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. But so I'm just honest. I'm just like literally. If you're affecting me, you will see me being affected. That that's you'll you'll see my fear. You'll see my my tears. You'll see my 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 attention. Whatever it is going on with me, I and that's just that's just me in general. I'm just you know open. And I will share with you guys that one of the things that happened with at Johnny One, for me is the second time through, I brought someone who was really eager and had never done an immersive piece. Completely the wrong format for her. She became extremely uncomfortable, wanted to leave halfway through the show. She didn't, she stuck it through because she's a trooper, she loves theater. But she, that was the realization, you know, you were saying earlier that it's not the format for some people. And that was the realization that night, and it was fascinating for me to watch a friend of mine get so uncomfortable and the it's, moment it's interesting that you say that because we have friends you know who want to come support our work because they're our friends and um there's some that you know they've come to a couple shows and you know at drinks afterwards it'll come out where it's like you know this form just really isn't for me and i and i generally say to them i'm like that's that's great you you don't have to come like the reality is it it it's a special sort of experience mm -hmm. and and if it's not your it's not your deal that that's totally okay um, and I think, well, it's good to push yourself, particularly if you've never had the experience before. I also think it's good to try it with different companies because different companies handle the experience differently and um, take care of their audience in different ways and the, the objectives are different. Uh, so I do think maybe if you've tried one company and that wasn't your experience, it might be worth trying another. But for some people, it, it isn't their thing and that, that mm -hmm. is totally okay and I do think at a certain point forcing yourself through it is doing yourself a disservice and 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 sometimes depending on the dynamic of the show it can it can hurt other audience experiences as well um, which I think is always an interesting thing with this idea of like the breaking the game method and um, I always find that very interesting you know for some audience that's part of the excitement of it and uh, and I always wonder about that because in the end they're they're missing out on on this thing that's been crafted for them and very possibly carefully. disrupting the show for other patrons and, and, and possibly disrupting it for other patrons which i which i am always kind of interested in in what what drives someone to do that um but uh but again you know i i guess i always feel like too like rarely will breaking the game be as satisfying as you think it will be um and in the end you're missing out on all the 
all the choices and work that were put into, you know, I, I believe all the companies making immersive work, mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to craft an experience for you, an experience that you might not normally get to experience in your day-to-day -day life. And, and whatever your feelings are at the end of it, don't you want to give it a shot? So, Ru Russell, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, we've been chatting for a little bit at this point. Do you think it's time to ask the question? Yes, and you get to ask the question this time. Okay, hold on. I don't know if you guys have listened to many My Haunt Life podcasts, but there comes a time in most interviews when we have to ask the question. The question. Are you Team Snickers or Team Kit Kat? Kit Kat! Kit Kat! Kit Kat! Kit Kat, I have to say. Okay. Is for us? I'm so outnumbered. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm allergic to peanuts, in fairness, so uh, that's not really a fair... Uh... Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll give you to Mike's team. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Based on allergies, we'll give you to Mike's team. Yeah. So speakeasy is Team Kit Kat. <laughs> so, I quit. <laughs> so yes, feel free to dig in. Awesome. Thank so um, yeah, we we always offer that to our our guests as, as a thank you. That's so. Fantastic. So, in addition to this morning, because of, there are so many of you guys, we brought donuts. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, we love it. You. So. <laughs> so, you're currently running the Kansas Collection, and how you're going to do this and Johnny Part Three is, I mean, that's a whole other conversation that we won't get into, to, so we don't stress you out. Everyone at the table is shaking their head. <laughs> But with this, you're doing something a little bit different. Uh, the first thing is you're separating it into chapters, and you're also adding an ARG component to it, where we, in real life, we are, are chatting with the characters. And for, just as a fan, like, it's so much fun. Like, it's so cool that you're going down this road. And I'm just wondering how, who came up with this and, and what was the method behind it? Yeah, I mean, it was in some ways the Kansas collection was kind of a happy accident where there was some interest in potentially um, interrogating some of the Oz mythos at some point. But uh, we were approached by uh, Noah Nelson um, when Indicade was coming about this past year. And he said, you know, can you design a, a piece that's custom tailored for, uh, you know, a game conference with certain specific parameters? And, um, and we ended up crafting this piece and uh, it met with a lot of positive response. And so we, like with many things, uh, you know, completely deviated from our earlier plans and, and started to try to investigate this as a possibility. Um, but I, I think part, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I don't want to, I'm sorry, so sorry to interrupt you, but I think you're selling yourself short. Positive, <laughs> I'm putting positive in quotation marks because how quick did at Indicade did it fill up for the night? Yeah, like five, with, within five minutes, yeah. we had we had more audience than we could handle for the entire evening. Which congratulations to that, and Absolutely. that just it's, it, that, it, that was just incredible. Well, and I, I I think though part of why that happened it goes to the the driving force of what makes immersive theater exciting, right? Uh, you know, you're at this game festival, and here is this colorful tent set up in the middle of a field and lots of other stuff around it, but don't you want to know what's inside it? Uh -huh. And uh, it and it's real. It's a real tent in a real field and it's it's and it doesn't look like a tent you see every day. It's you know and I think there's an intrigue with that. And I think that is part of what's exciting about immersive theater is it's it's the chance to encounter something 
out of the ordinary. And um, so I do think even though with this piece we're, we're, we're exploring the ARG thing and some of the gaming technique stuff, at its core, it, it is still immersive theater and uh, it is still, that, that's the core of the experience, is getting to experience something new mm -hmm. or a situation that, that's unknown. The heart of each chapter as well is focuses on like a moment where you are with those characters. Like it's it's never like about the other stuff around it. It always leads you into that moment and then it leads out of that moment. But every chapter is centered on a moment with the characters. But that being said, you know, I think we were talking earlier about uh, how our pieces, one sort of hallmark of the way that we work is that the piece extends beyond the end of the piece, right? right. Like it extends to the point of conversation. And so this in some ways I think was diving deeper into that space of how do we actually keep the performance going over the course of several weeks um, when you're seeing it in this episodic format. And this was something that, I mean, Julianne and I were talking about when we first started Speakeasy. What are additional ways that we can interact with an audience other than in the live element? And, and how can we continue story over other mediums? And this one has been so much fun to do because it kind of keeps unraveling itself to us in a way. And we, we keep adding extra layers and coming up with more where, where this could go and where it is going. And I think one of the exciting challenges about it is, so you, you know, there's this extra content, there's these um, extended conversations happening. And again, you want it to all be meaningful, right? Mm -hmm. You do want things to pay off. Uh, you do want there to be an ultimate uh, larger narrative and, and, and story experience that everyone goes down. Uh, what's it, you know what's what's new to us about this is obviously it's it's how it's unraveling over time and obviously time in this case is a a much bigger <laughs> continuum <laughs> than normal um, and so that that's been exciting for us and but I think it's also really exploring you know it's the the again well this idea of like there's all this extra stuff how do we guarantee that the core you come to a chapter. And if you just engage for that hour for that night, that that's a full experience and that, that you can just tune in every time you buy your ticket and have a fully engaged experience. Or if you want to go down these offshoots, that there's a whole bunch more uh, information and story that you can experience, but that if you don't have that, you're still fine. You probably also need to check your email in order to have a full experience, in fairness. But 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 beyond that, you, uh, you, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to do all of the extra, because there's scavenger hunt elements, there's puzzle elements, there's uh, lots of uh, p potential interaction with characters over uh, you know voicemail or text. Um, so uh, it's there, there's a lot there for people who are interested in that, but to your point, you can still have a very full core experience uh, by just, just by engaging with the, the base events, materials. Yeah. That yeah. being said, to highlight that, yeah, checking your email is good. That, 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 <laughs> that, that, there, there is some important content that gets delivered are, that are way. Are you having people not do that? Yeah, you know, or just saying, I mean, we, we had or a couple like, oh, I bought a ticket for and don't go this into day, it. but uh, can I come this day instead? No, that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> no, no but, 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 but the email we do, there is a fair amount of content that's useful to get that we give via yes. email that we feel like that's easy enough Yes. And it's we, connecting we, each chapter. Where mm -hmm. That's something that we're really interested and, in. And along that line, if someone is entering, you know, you might want to give us a real email address uh, mm. if you care to uh, 
Continue. To continue, and and you might want to write it in a way that we can read yeah, it <laughs> uh, to, to guarantee that that you can. You know, it is it is in, no, but it's interesting, right? I mean, you know, you you do a survey, people ask for your personal information. Yes, like m- many people give fake info, and there is a there is giving strangers your 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 contact info is always a, a choice. But it is interesting because obviously, if you give us fake information, we can't give you the materials that you're going to need to enjoy the piece and and we're not right. using your your uh, info for any nefarious uh, purposes <laughs> i promise I, I understand the hesitation but it does make me a little bit sad because uh that is our method of delivering material to people so and something that that uh, matthew just commented on the idea that okay great there's a puzzle there's there you know after the second chapter there was the potential that you needed to contact someone mm-hmm. um, that that didn't happen for me it mm-hmm. happened for someone else in my group but so they contact someone and if that never goes any farther just that contact the fact that you guys have delivered this one additional thing after the show the show continues after you walk out of that building like that's that's plenty that's more than a lot of companies are doing and so i think it's partially up to the patron to determine how much they want to dive in mm-hmm. so I, I think it's very valid in the fact that of what you brought up of like yeah there, there's that one additional little thing mm-hmm. and for a lot of people that will be fine that'll be that'll be really special because i do think well as i mentioned we are exploring the the gaming techniques and mm-hmm. and and the arg aspect in the end we are really committed with those though towards we do want to honor that you're on a on a journey and there's a story and that we are going somewhere and um and that we're going there together right because i do think well it's an individual experience the reality is everyone is on the larger story everyone everyone's walking down the path mm-hmm. you know they just have different offshoots that that, that can happen within it and you experience that path in small groups right and i think that's what's interesting is well in the moment it does feel like uh you know oh this is only an experience that i'm having with one or two people three people you know but truthfully right a hundred people had said experience and that was their next step in the story right. so there there is an interesting i think uh, it, it does feel so individualized, but also that there is this kind of larger track running. And I think people are definitely reacting to it. I mean, for example, chapter three for the door went on sale and sold out in a couple hours. Yeah, that was awesome. Which, congratulations to the <laughs> Yeah, thank absolutely. You. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. No, well, and, and thank you to everyone who bought those tickets. It's It's a really refreshing feeling to know that we're connecting with people on that level. People are excited about it. And we are looking at remount dates to make more tickets available as well. Oh, so, good. Yeah. It yeah. is coming. Yeah, we is. promise. <laughs> we just kind of have is... to pause it momentarily right. while we do Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's part of the challenge because the Johnny thing does feel very important to us that it happened now that we close that loop. And uh, as we said, we weren't necessarily anticipating that we'd be moving so aggressively on the on the Kansas collection. So we're, we're sort of caught in the in in the middle um but we will come back to uh continue with kansas collection after we're done with johnny as well so thank you guys so much again for being here uh we really really appreciate it and you know we are huge fans obviously so can you give us your website info and any other relevant info you have about the speakeasy society absolutely uh so our website is www.speakeasysociety.com and uh you should Look for tickets on sale for Johnny 3 um, now. 
uh, will be going up in May. So that'll be Thursday through Saturday for each weekend of May. You can follow us on Instagram at the Speakeasy Soch, uh, and on Twitter also at the Speakeasy Soch as well. And I have one quick question. Where did the name Speakeasy Society come from? So that's kind of a funny story. <laughs> um, we had created this piece in the bathroom at CalArts, and we were going to be putting it up in Los Angeles proper. And through some, some guidance, we were told we need a name. This is going to be your first show officially, so you should pick one before it goes up because you need a brand, brand what it is you're doing. And so... There was a lot of back and forth, and... There were a lot of options that we went through. There, there, there might have been a moment where Invisible Roller Coaster was on the table. <laughs> we, we are cat fans, so there were some names that potentially had cats in the title. Those were vetoed. Those were vetoed, <laughs> but um, in the end, we wanted to pick a name that we felt, uh, in, in some ways, uh, suggested an idea of community again, that you're going to come see our show and in a way you're potentially being invited into the community into experiencing what is the speakeasy society it's it's a group it's it's an experience it's it's in some ways a a larger entity than a singular show and you become a part of that society by seeing the shows and also an extra layer of reality, because I think when we're at our best and we're doing things well, you leave the show and you look at the world in a different way, whether mm -hmm. that's just for an hour or for a week or for the rest of your life. And I, so it is multi-level, right? Yeah. The Speakeasy Society, what is it? It's, 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 is it a core company? Is it the people who, make the, who are in the piece? Is it the audience? It's, it's all those things. Also, we like to speakeasies. <laughs> we, we enjoy a good cocktail and, and, and if it's appropriate to the show we like to, to incorporate it so every level <laughs> do you have any last final thoughts you know I always have a last thought you guys can edit it out if you want to <laughs> no but um, you know it is, it is uh, again you know thinking about the audience uh, relationship and you know it is uh, we take great joy in, in creating work um, and creating work for the audience and, and it's, it's an honor to be able to share it with people and that people give us the space to, to, to create these experiences for them and, and I think, you know, obviously the immersive community is growing. There's a lot of companies doing this right now, and that's really exciting. I, it's, it's awesome that this form is picking up and, 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 and that more people are aware of it and wanting to engage. I do think, though, it, it creates a sense of responsibility. Uh, we as a company have a responsibility to create, um, to take care of our audiences and to create the best experience possible because we don't want to alienate people from the forum. And I think that's something um, across the scene. Uh, I do think all companies have, have a fair amount of responsibility when creating a show or a product. Uh, you might be people's first entryway into it. And um, I, I, I think there is, there is a, weight and, uh, a weight to that. And, and we want to en encourage people to further explore the forum. And so I, I do think there's... There's a fair there's a fair responsibility as creators in this field right now, and um, we're pioneers in a way. Yeah, all all of the companies right now are, yeah. are are pioneering a field, and and we definitely want to do that with care because I think it's it is an intense form at times, 
And, um, and I think we want to just make sure that we're not scaring away audience members or um, not taking care of them in a way that can allow them to continue forward in the investigation. And I, I think I also just want to say that we're deeply grateful to be able to be making this work. And we're grateful that there are audiences that are responding to it. And, uh, you know, this is <laughs> Julianne's book earlier about sort of the grayness of the day-to-day -day existence. You know, the, the work that we create in the company um, is the most exciting thing that we do. Um, and uh, we're, we're grateful to have one another as collaborators and, uh, and grateful to be able to make this work for all of you. So thank you for coming and seeing it. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for, for being willing to have this conversation. Um, I am so excited for the next shows. I really am. Oh, you've given me a lot of good times for the last couple oh, of years. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. <laughs> so, and, oh, wait, I have another question. <laughs> so, uh, is The Hollow ever going to come back? Ah, interesting. So both, <laughs> I, I think we can comment on that both uh, with The Hollow and Ebenezer. Uh, those are two pieces that uh, that kind of occupy a different space in our, our canon, so mm -hmm. to speak. They fulfill kind of a different role. And, and we're... They're we, very different. They're very different, and, and we love them both. Um, the Hollow, should it come back, uh, I think it would definitely have some, some larger revisions done to it. Um, but we're definitely still excited about the piece. Uh, again, we've just had these opportunities come up in a way that have mixed up our calendar. We keep kind of hypothetically saying like, okay, we're gonna do the hollow this year, or we're gonna do Ebenezer this year, and then uh, an out of the blue opportunity happens and just our bandwidth as we are a small but mighty group, uh, we have to make choices about what to do next. Ebenezer, on the other hand, we are looking for a new home for that piece. Um, it's a very large and involved piece, so the space needs needs a lot to make it work. But we, they, both of those shows are on our radar as things that we would like to revisit in some way in the near future, hopefully. So they are still, still, still on the active list. Yeah, they're kicking around. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so happy you just said that. <laughs> and and I guess that's worth, I don't know that we have any show that we would never revisit. It, mm -hmm. A lot of it would be about, uh, you know, space, situation, the right moment. I, I think we we do look at creating a piece as an ongoing experience. So it, it, once it existed the first time, that's just kind of the beginning of our relationship to it. So I do think there is a chance that any of our work could eventually find its way back to the to kind of the season or the docket cool so going off that um chris was mentioning that there were a couple throwaway scripts based on location would you ever do some sort of remix show where it'd be in a different location and using those alternative scripts i mean there's always a chance right <laughs> it's possibly not no it's just <laughs> we'll just see what happens um, strangely but... to those those scripts i wouldn't they might wind up in a completely different show totally re-envisioned so uh so they could wind up in an ex existing piece they had initially been intended for or somewhere completely different also if i can throw one thing out i do always just want to acknowledge all the people we collaborate with Absolutely. um we are so lucky as a company to work with incredibly talented um designers performers and um the work very much could not exist without them. Uh, they are so generous and so giving and so talented and bring so much to the table. And um, it's been exciting. It, they are vital 
to the experiences we are creating. And, and I just think, you know, oftentimes in immersive theater, there isn't a traditional program. Obviously, there's never a curtain call or bow at the end. <laughs> um, generally, the, the performers disappear into the night. And uh, I just really, uh, I do want to acknowledge all the work they do and, and what they bring to the piece. Because again, they, the, the, the pieces would not exist without them. And, and, and and the quality of the work is very much in part due to, to, to their, their talents and generosity. Absolutely, and particularly uh, want to recognize one core collaborator who is John Henningsen, who's our uh, producing director. Um, and we were asking earlier about the creation of the Kansas collection. He's actually from Kansas and, and grew up there. <laughs> so uh, the Keep Kansas Clean uh, sign that you see, that's his personal property. <laughs> and, oh, that's uh, funny. Yeah, so he's, he's actually imparted a lot of very specific knowledge about the way that the Oslore has manifested itself in Kansas in a modern context. And, uh, oh, that's very, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of elbow grease as well. So, And also, uh, on your website, you do have a very long list of collaborators that you give acknowledgement to. So, you know, if anyone's interested in learning those names that you just mentioned, there is a long list on the website, some of them with links to those people's work. Absolutely. And once again, thank all of you, uh, Julianne, Matthew, Genevieve, Chris. Thank you very much for coming to the My Haunt Lock podcast and sharing a little bit of your creative process about what's coming up. We know so many people who are fans of your work, and we just really want to thank you for the honor of this interview. Thank you so much for having us. I know, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So again, a huge, huge thank you to the Speakeasy Society for being here and speaking with us. Like... Russell and I just looked at each other with our jaws dropped. They, they just left and it's just like, wow, like that, that was such a fun interview. And it, and just because we're such huge fans and hearing everything that they're saying about their shows and it, it's, ugh, I, I love things like this. Yeah. This, this was, uh, I, I, I they're, their integrity about the world of the immersive theater and creating their experiences. I, I just, uh, this is one of those companies that I just will always come back to. And I really, really appreciate them coming in and letting us nerd out with them a little bit about the creative process and, and what's coming up. Yeah. Like you can tell that they are fans first. Yes, they, absolutely. They love the, the art form and they love creating and they love storytelling and just like everything they were saying about how they want everyone to have a good experience and you know that I mean that's customer service I mean we also talk about customer service like in general but it just like they're they're just so on top of things and it's it's I'm so excited for what they have coming yeah absolutely me too this is this is (laughs) this has been a really 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 fun conversation for us to have yeah so thank you again guys and we will definitely definitely see you soon thank you so much for coming out and letting us talk to you And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, Hope you enjoyed this as much as we have. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. See ya. (laughs) You haven't talked a lot today. I Just because you were geeking out. I wanted to to let you have your moment. (laughs)